everyone, Alice here with you again for another episode of Poetry Says. Sending another letter to you from Melbourne today. Just had announced here some revised restrictions for us. We can go much further from home than we could before. We can see more people as long as we stay outside. Things are looking up. I guess you might say. So I thought I would write to you again in podcast format. I guess I'm in kind of a reflective mood. I tend to live about three months in advance and so in my mind it's already December and I'm thinking about what has this year meant? So controversial take, I think 2020 was pretty challenging. I think it was a pretty pretty tough year there for all of us. Some more than others, some much more than others. I always want my podcast episodes to be evergreen, but this year that has just completely gone out the window if it wasn't already. And one of the things I've been thinking about as I've been reflecting on this year is, I was talking to my partner about this last night, why is it so hard for us all to let each other off the hook at moments like this by which I mean why do we still need to keep working and making things and doing things when everything around us is so uncertain and unpredictable and relentlessly insane basically why do we continue to act as if we should be as productive and useful quote-unquote as always I say we, I'm obviously talking about myself here and wondering why I am still holding myself to the same standards as I always have. And I'd like to think that this year I've learned a bit about being more gentle with my schedule and my expectations for myself. And maybe I have learned a few things, but there's definitely still moments of pressure And that's really mystifying to me. In terms of poetry, I've been thinking about where my own motivation to write poetry comes from because I haven't wanted to write this year. I have drafts, first drafts of maybe six or so poems that I've written this year. Some of those are just the first line. Part of me hasn't wanted to respond to what's happened in 2020 from any angle. I also have a strong memory of a poet earlier this year talking to me by text and warning me that we were about to see a flood of what he called incredibly bad virus poems. It seemed a lot funnier in April than it does now in October. And I completely understand that point of view and... On the one hand, I absolutely have felt like I have nothing useful to say. I have nothing to contribute. I feel like I just need to batten down the hatches and wait for it all to be over. What it all means and over means to be determined. But I mean, the other half of it is it's also really important for me as a person, as a human being to put words onto a screen and arrange them into a pleasing order. That's something I like to do, something that makes me feel whole and useful and 
purposeful. So in response to all that, I started writing poems that were intentionally bad. And I called each of them incredibly bad virus poem, number one, number two, number three. And the way I did it, because I had no... I felt like the well was entirely dry in terms of my own creativity. So I have a book that my partner bought me, The Complete Poems of Anne Sexton. It's so good having a complete collection because you get to see all the terrible poems as well as the really good ones. And so that gave me a lot of permission. So I would randomly open the book and read a few lines or a whole poem. And then I would write as if I was writing to Anne Sexton. So that was, that was one way that I stayed connected to poetry this year. And I hesitate to do this because it feels really self-indulgent and very exposing, but I thought I would read one to you because, hey, it's October 2020, what do I have to lose? I thought I would just read one of these drafts. This is, it's very much a first draft, so be kind, but I trust you. So this is Incredibly Bad Virus Poem number three. Monday. Anne writes, good, no visitors today. She always sounds like she's building up to an incredible last line, but then she trails off or writes something ugly. But he belongs to me like lost baggage. This morning I'm thinking about Sydney, a hotel room all to myself, wine, dancing at a gay club I can't remember the name of. Sydney's a foreign country. Dalesford is a foreign country. The other side of Bell Street is much too far away. My feet, lower legs hurt. I'm not losing the weight. I will not be flattening my curves. But hey, at least I'm reading. There is too much food and no one left over to eat up all the weird abundance. Sometimes she nails it. What is so terrifying about being incredibly bad for a moment? What is so useful about being good for long, dull stretches of time? Anne writes for Eleanor Boylan, talking with God, who is 103 years old now, living in New York. Is the virus on my clothes, my shoes, my hair, my newspaper? Yes, even introverts can be lonely right now. Anyone can be lonely at any time. All it takes is for you to decide that you can't talk to God or anyone else, but you want to. This is a low bar. In another attempt to stay connected to creativity this year, and this is perhaps even more embarrassing than sharing with you my first draft of a poem, is I started working through Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way. When I mention this book to people, they either say, oh yeah, I've heard of that book, or they say, yeah, I tried to do The Artist's Way and it's weird and too hard, <laughs> which I entirely agree with. I've also, this is also my second go at attempting to do this book. It's it's basically 12 chapters. It's based on a 12-step recovery model. And Julia positions you, the reader, as the blocked artist, the recovering artist. And she gets you to do all these incredibly naff exercises along with morning pages, which is what the book is famous for. You've got to write three longhand stream of consciousness pages every day. And every week you need to go on what's called an artist's date which is like a special little activity just for you that is meant to fill your reservoir of creativity and ideas. I definitely didn't do it perfectly. 
I did it slowly. I didn't do it every week, but I did do, I have done about half of the book now. My most successful moment was I took myself on an artist date. This was deep in, deep in restriction town. I don't think I was really allowed to go. I mean, I haven't been allowed to go pretty much anywhere for the whole time. So it was, it was doing the book on hard mode for sure. But I went across to my local creek, Darabin Creek, and walked along a part of it that I hadn't really paid much attention to before, but I just kind of had a feeling about it and found that all along the creek on the backs of these industrial buildings, which back up onto the creek, there was essentially like a kilometer long outdoor gallery of graffiti art and that just felt so special to see that and it really it was incredibly moving to me because it reminded me that what we make doesn't have to have an audience and it doesn't or it can just be your audience can just be the other people who are also making that stuff whatever it is because these beautiful, incredibly skillful paintings. I mean, I have no idea how people do this stuff. Like they're using a spray can. It doesn't make any sense, but they're so beautiful and no one is going to see them. You can't really see them from the other side of the creek. You can only see them if you go in this weird little entrance out the back of Bunnings and then you go right instead of left, which you wouldn't because it looks sketchy as and then it just stretches on for like a kilometer. It's, it's just there because it brings these people joy to make these things. So that was, that was a good moment in, in the artist's way time that I've been spending. But it's got to be one of the most annoying books ever written. Not just because it positions you as this blocked creative or artist, which is already a bit like, oh, really? Okay. Um, and not just because you've got to do the morning pages and the artist dates, but you also have to answer a bunch of really condescending questions and do these, these exercises that are just so icky. So this week, for example, week seven, I had to draw up a jealousy map. People that I'm jealous of, why I'm jealous of them. This is like investigating creative jealousy which used to dominate my life a lot more than it does now, I'm happy to say. But yeah, writing out the people that I'm jealous of, why I'm jealous of them, and then what's what's an activity you can do to address that area of creativity? Like one, what's the next step in addressing that? Some of the other tasks I can choose from this week, take yourself into a sacred space, a church, synagogue, library, grove of trees, and allow yourself to savor the silence and healing solitude. Or wear your favorite item of clothing for no special occasion. Or buy yourself one wonderful pair of socks, one wonderful pair of gloves, one wonderfully comforting, self-loving something. The most annoying thing about this book is that it actually does work. It's it's strange. Like It does actually, answering these dumb questions and doing these very irritating exercises it somehow does jolt you out of your thinking and make you see things from other angles and I guess really what it is is it's like if you're going to do something as 
um, navel gazing and seemingly silly as writing out a jealousy map, then why wouldn't you try to write a draft of a movie review or something like that? You know, like how, how much worse could your output be? Just write something, you know? So yeah, that's, that's sort of been working for me, but that's that kind of activity for me has been happening in parallel with this desire and maybe not even desire, just pull towards slowing right the way down pretty much to a stop. And that also feels like the right thing to do. I read this really wonderful article last week called Nine Days in Wuhan, which is about uh, exactly as the title suggests, nine days spent reporting from Wuhan where the virus first sprouted up and the writer interviews and talks with novelists and poets and other people who live in the city. And one of the poets that he speaks with is a poet called, with the pen name Xiaoyin. Xiaoyin's a Wuhan-based poet and he says outright that this year he he hasn't felt he's been able to write poetry. He's stopped writing poetry. He hasn't stopped writing altogether. He's been posting daily on Weibo, the uh, Chinese Twitter, but not poems, like little dispatches, apparently. I haven't been able to find them, unfortunately. They sound very beautiful from what's described in the article, but I want I haven't been able to find them. And I found a quote from Xiaoyin, a translated quote that stood out to me, where he says, the virus is impacting people's inherent cultural structure, thinking mode and logical framework. And I think that's true to an extent, you know, obviously true differently for different people. But I know for me, some of the thinking that's that sort of changed unavoidably is is the way I relate to other people. You know, this time last year I was spending large chunks of my week in big groups of people doing very active things and I was very focused on how many people I could cram into a room. (laughs) That was a success. Now I have to treat people as if they're dangerous or at least be cautious around them. And even the people that I'm close to emotionally feel very far away. Whether they are far away physically or not, they feel inaccessible. And I think that changes my thinking. And there's just, yeah, there's a really big part of me that just doesn't want to write any of that down because I just don't want to record it. So look, the answer the answer, I don't know if we're looking for an answer, but the the conclusion here is obviously going to be different on different days for different people. For some of us, keeping our expectations of ourselves pretty standard might be really useful. For others, throwing all those expectations out the window sometimes might be great. And yeah, for me, I think I want to leave the door open to writing poems but I don't want to make it a goal necessarily. I think one of the themes of this podcast over the last four years has been 
how do you write how do you make yourself write how do you write good things and yeah I guess I w I'm getting to a point where I want to let go of that writing as a as a productivity goal to put it unkindly so I'll leave it there but before I go I want to share with you this Anne Sexton poem that I was writing through when I did that that draft I shared with you earlier because it's kind of perfect whether you're an Anne Sexton fan or not I'm not sure she's she's not for everyone but I just feel like this is this is too perfect not to share with you at this particular moment this is the poem I was responding to on that day it's called letter written during a January Northeaster Monday dearest it is snowing grotesquely snowing upon the small faces of the dead those dear loud mouths gone for over a year buried side by side like little wrens but why should I complain the dead turn over casually thinking good no visitors today my window which is not a grave is dark with my fierce concentration and too much snowing and too much silence the snow has quietness in it no songs no smells no shouts or traffic when i speak my own voice shocks me tuesday i have invented a lie there is no other day but monday it seemed reasonable to pretend that I could change the day like a pair of socks. To tell the truth, days are all the same size and words aren't much company. If I was sick, I'd be a child, tucked in under the woolens, sipping my broth. As it is, the days are not worth grabbing or lying about. Nevertheless, you are the only one that I can bother with this matter. Monday. It would be pleasant to be drunk faithless to my tongue and hands giving up the boundaries for the heroic gin dead drunk is the term i think of insensible neither cool nor warm without a head or a foot to be drunk is to be intimate with a fool i will try it shortly monday just yesterday 28 men aboard a damaged radar tower founded down 70 miles of the coast immediately their hearts slammed shut the storm would not cough them up. Today they are whispering over sonar. Small voice, what do you say? Aside from the going down, the awful wrench, the pulleys and hooks and the black tongue, what are your headquarters? Are they kind? Monday. It must be Friday by now. I admit I have been lying. Days don't freeze, and to say the snow has a quietness in it is to ignore the possibilities of the word. Only the tree has quietness in it. Quiet as the crucifix, pounded out years ago like a handmade shoe. Someone once told an elephant to stand still. That's why trees remain quiet all winter. They're not going anywhere. Monday. Dearest, where are your letters? The mailman is an imposter. He is actually my grandfather. He floats far off in the storm with his nicotine moustache and a bag full of nickels. His legs stumble through baskets of eyelashes. Like all the dead, he picks up his disguise, shakes it off and slowly pulls down the shade, 
fading out like an old movie. Now he is gone as you are gone, but he belongs to me like lost baggage. Monday. Dearest, it is snowing, grotesquely snowing, upon the small faces of the dead. Those dear loudmouths, gone for over a year, buried side by side like little wrens. But why should I complain? The dead turn over casually, thinking, good, no visitors today. My window, which is not a grave, is dark with my fierce concentration and too much snowing and too much silence. The snow has quietness in it, no songs, no smells, no shouts or traffic. When I speak, my own voice shocks me. Tuesday. I have invented a lie. Tuesday. I have invented a lie. There is no other day but Monday. It seemed reasonable to pretend that I could change the day like a pair of socks. To tell the truth, days are all the same size and words aren't much company. If I was sick, I'd be a child, tucked in under the woolens, sipping my broth. As it is, the days are not worth grabbing or lying about. Nevertheless, you are the only one that I can bother with this matter. Monday. It would be pleasant to be drunk, faithless to my tongue and hands, giving up the boundaries for the heroic gin. Dead drunk is the term I think of. Insensible, neither cool nor warm, without a head or a foot. To be drunk is to be intimate with a fool. I will try it shortly. Monday. Just yesterday, 28 men aboard a damaged radar tower foundered down 70 miles of the coast. Immediately their hearts slammed shut. The storm would not cough them up. Today they are whispering over sonar. Small voice, what do you say? Aside from the going down, the awful wrench, the pulleys and hooks and the black tongue. What are your headquarters? Are they kind? Monday. It must be Friday by now. 
I admit I have been lying. Days don't freeze, and to say the snow has a quietness in it is to ignore the possibilities of the word. Only the tree has quietness in it. Quiet as the crucifix, pounded out years ago like a handmade shoe. Someone once told an elephant to stand still. That's why trees remain quiet all winter. They're not going anywhere. Monday. Dearest, where are your letters? The mailman is an imposter. He is actually my grandfather. He floats far off in the storm with his nicotine moustache. He floats far off in the storm with his nicotine moustache and a bag full of nickels. His legs stumble through baskets of eyelashes. Like all the dead, he picks up his disguise, shakes it off and slowly pulls down the shade, fading out like an old movie. Now he is gone as you are gone, but he belongs to me like lost baggage.